Journal Entry 40. There's a clarity that comes with understanding where you're from. If you can see the building blocks, you know what you can make with them. I know who I am now, and in the end, that is difficult, and it's good, too. I may be a mix of things. I may not have a body yet. I may be trapped here in my own mind again. But I know who I am. We've left that awful moon behind us now. But despite its hellish landscape and the awful people we met down there, it gave us knowledge. Juniper has that look in her eyes again when she visits me. The look of determination, like she's going to endure anything to get what she wants. We're all lucky that what she wants is people to live good lives. And I'm lucky that so much of her attention is given to me. I want her to know how I feel, but I can't tell her yet. I'm not whole. I know who I am, but I'm not whole. But I can build on what I know. And I know now that machine or memory, ghost or weapon, I am Aira. Signed, you. Welcome to Diceology, an actual play podcast dedicated to telling you stories in an anthology format. We're here for the role-playing and the rolling. I'm your host and GM, Dane, and today I have with me... Hey, I'm Natalie. And today we are going to be picking up our game about Lady Blackbird. We're going to continue playing Simple World, and we will also probably intermittently be playing D. Vincent Baker's Mobile Frame Zero's Firebrands, because that game is fantastic. So yeah, uh... Where did we specifically leave off? We left off with Aira and Juniper leaving Dome 23 on Hold Moon 4, which is a lot of words and numbers. <laughs> um, but it's a volcanic planet, uh, and the domes are where people live on said volcanic planet so that they aren't breathing in ash all the time, which is ideal. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I was asking why you and Aira decided that it would be good and fun to go out into a volcanic hellscape planet. You know, we just thought it'd be like a good vacation, get away from that nice city life. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are going to find the remaining databases that exist on Hold Moon 4. And, and these are old empire ones, right? Yes, old empire databases, which to my knowledge at least are don't exist anywhere else. Um, so there could be valuable mm-hmm. information that could help Aira's situation and just other generally interesting things. And we're doing that with the help of two hired criminals. <laughs> um, right. You hired <laughs> who are going to be our getaway crew. Yep, you hired the crew of the Chimera, a pair of uh, fixers, smugglers, bounty hunters. Uh, by the names of, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get these right because I am adore, I adore these names. Where did they go? Where are they? There they are: Merlin Kingston and Ash Sultan. Uh, yeah, good good choices. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yeah, so you guys have you guys have hired criminals as your escape route. Um, after you guys get your your information and you paid them. 300 credits up front, leaving you with leaving you with 40 credits. And they also are only doing this with promise of relics, valuables from this old empire ruin that they can sell as the rest of their payment to take you to the next 
wherever you guys need to go next. Additionally, uh, this is this old. This came up very briefly, but it's very important. While you were putting Aira into an entourage bot body for, so you guys could go dancing, you attracted the attention of a seeker of the eleventh saint, one we haven't seen before. Awesome. So just, just a heads up there. Uh, am I missing anything? <laughs> Outside of the fact that you and Aira actually did have a nice time and finally got you to relax. Got Juniper yes. to calm down a little. <laughs> um, the other thing is that we kind of stole the bot suit. <laughs> right, right. You're gonna you said you're gonna return it because you have it until the end of the night, but Shit happens, man. Shit happens, yeah. And are they gonna really want it once it's covered in volcanic ash? Yeah, it'll be fine. It's going to be great. Okay. Okay, so I think we've kind of hit on everything. But I think we sh- we open on, not on Era and Juniper, but we open back in Dome 23. So that facsimile of a fake sky, it's, it's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night now. So there's like perfect constellation stars in the sky. Like they might even be connected. Do you know what I mean? Like have yeah. little lines and there's a fake moon in the, in this sky and it's one, and it's dark enough that it yeah it's dark but nobody can never see it's mm-hmm. it's like a, it's a little it's like a it's like movie time night where like everything is still super clear right you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and the nightlife is popping off here and people are really coming out and they're dressed to the nines you know they've got all of the they've got this like phospholuminescent clothing or they've got their their cybernetics out in in full in full display with like underlit like people might have big old chrome arms that are like underlit like some cars are underlit you know Mm -hmm. and moving through the crowd are three people who stand out in their own way because unlike everybody else they are not glitzed up at all they are wearing heavy metal armor and heavy robes and every so often you catch a glimpse that might be a weapon on them which is not a thing that people in the dome normally have and each one of them is wearing a heavy helm. Uh, there's one that has this rectangular helm with a single like glowing eye. Another has like, have you seen an ocean mine like from like World War II? The ones that are like they float and they've got like spikes on them. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know. Yeah, what you're about. a helmet kind of like that, and another that's like that's probably the glitziest of all three. That's just a chrome, uh, silver completely featureless helmet and the two they're being led by the 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 one with the rectangular helm and this person is much bigger kind of seems vaguely more masculine heavier armor and they're kind of the the two behind are talking at him in a sense of like they're like trying to like confirm something and he kind of just shoots over his shoulders like yes i smelt a dream blood i caught the scent just Sibling speak, sister sister yearn, just trust me. There was a dream blood and you guys saw the spikes on your helmet too. A dream blood and old empire tech being turned on. We can't miss this. So just I need your help. And the three of them kind of they walk through the nightlife and out to the outskirts of the city to the landing pads. 
and they there's two ships. One's a freighter class ship, and the other looks like a one-person sort of fighter-style ship. And neither one look mass-produced. They both look like they've been built piece by piece. So they have a gunmetal kind of look, a mismatched sort of look, but they look well put together. Like, there's a style of, um, not hot rods, kind of hot rods, but like a, a style of restoring and making and doing things with like classic cars called rat rods. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but rat nope. rods are, they're designed to look kind of junky. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's always like in this really aesthetically pleasing way. And it's, and it's kind of in this, um, it's so on purpose that it like turns the corner again. Uh, are you looking it up? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So like, these are like, these are ships that are like rat rods, basically. They're, they're, it's so weird because nice. you look at them and you're like, oh, these ships are fast and they've got great engines and they are not going to fall apart. It looks like they'll fall apart, but they are not going to. <laughs> sure. uh, which is kind of an intimidating sort of thing because only large organizations and companies build ships. Mm. And each of these ships have 11 ri interlocked rings on them, signifying that these are Seekers of the 11th Saint. And they hop into their ships and they start firing them up and, and asking for uh, permission to leave. So meanwhile, where do we find Aira and Juniper? Uh, I mean, we're like biking along this volcanic wasteland over here. Right. Um, right. You are in the lava stretches. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's the, at least for Juniper right now, it's the it's the good kind of adrenaline. Like, yes, this is scary, but it's like really exciting to like be on a freaking motorbike, like with this awesome woman just like flying through like fire and ashes. <laughs> like, it's kind of it badass. Has a, it has a it has a certain heavy metal metal album cover look to it, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. it How long valid, do we have right? to ride? Yeah. Maybe an hour. Okay. It's not a. F it's not super close. Okay. But it's close enough that you don't need to take a ship. Mm-hmm. And it's probably kind of weird, right? Because Era's a hologram over a robot, sort of. Mm-hmm. And I think at this speed, it's kind of hard for the projections to quite keep up. So she kind of looks like she's blurred in a weird way that she's mm -hmm. not normally. Versus you, who have to, you have to be wearing goggles, and uh, you have to be wearing this, like, gas mask that you bought, this whole, like, this whole situation, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, you guys are an odd pair. But about halfway there, I, I think Aira, like, kind of, like, leans over and it, over her shoulder and says, Hey, so I wanted to talk about something. Uh, sure, like, now? <laughs> I mean, we're not going anywhere. I mean, we're, we are going somewhere, but not, like, uh, do you have something better to do? Uh, no, that, sh that should work. I think they're, like, kind of having to talk really <laughs> loudly over, like, the sounds of the bike and the surrounding, like, explosions and stuff. Yeah. So what do you think we're going to find out there? Uh, there's no way to be sure. I, I hope some valuable information, something that can help you. I don't know. Um, so do you remember, do you remember when we, um, when we were on the ship with Basil and, and Olive and you were having nightmares? 
and you were having them in my mind a lot? Yeah. You remember how I became a mech to make them go away? Yeah, I do. Juniper, what if I wasn't the pilot? I've been thinking about that myself. What do you think you are? I don't know. Because it's so easy to be... Like... I think she, like, takes her hand, one hand off the handlebars, and then she, like, kind of turns her, like, hand into, like, holographically projecting, like, scales on it or something. Just something kind of weird. Yeah. She's like, this takes a lot of effort to me, for me to picture myself this way. And she, like, lets it go, and she's like, it takes no effort to look like this. To look how you look usually, normally? Yeah, yeah. She kind of gestures, and and Aira's, you know, she's like six-something, tan skin, Latinx, lots of brown hair, you know, the kind of muscular. And she's like, this feels really natural. But the moment I am in a rush, or if I'm, or if I felt the need to, to protect you, I, it was just as easy to be that. To be something that's not human? Yeah. Perhaps that's true. Perhaps there's more to this. But I just want you to know that you are human. You are, because I wouldn't be able to access your mind, and I wouldn't feel what I feel about you and for you if you weren't human. So even if there's more to this story, that doesn't change anything for me. But what if I've been tricking myself? And... Juniper, what if I'm a weapon? I'm hoping that that's something we may be able to find out at this database. I'm hoping to get you some answers. And it's true, they might be unpleasant answers. But... I I want you to have a sense of who you are, and even if you're something or someone else that you don't, I don't know, that you don't particularly like, you're not just that thing, and you're not just, you're a good, kind person, and I've seen that. Even if some part of you is a weapon, I, that's not all of you. That's not who you are. I really hope you're right. I know I'm right. Thanks. And then she's like, I think we're coming up on the on the, the lava rivers, and she like clicks a few things on the um on the on the bike and has to like hu- like she's like hover she's doing this thing where she's like bouncing. I should describe the lava rivers. What am I doing? <laughs> so past these like burnt fields where there's just this endless ash like the glow starts picking up as there's like four massive rivers of lava coming down towards towards the direction you came from and floating along in them are like football field to just car sized chunks of cooled uh, rock that are floating in them so Aira has to do to get past this area she has to do this sort of like 
she has to bounce from one to the other, essentially. Like, she has to fly over, a, a, like, a stretch and then, like, hit the gas hard and launch to the next one. So it's this very jarring, like, high-focus, difficult set of maneuvers. So I think dice need to be rolled here. Okay. Um, on Aira's part or on my part, or both? I think in this case... So when you help or hinder an NPC, which is technically what Aira is, you roll your sync with that person. On a 10+, plus, they either succeed or fail your choice. Right, right, right. On a 7 to 9, I will name a cost, and if you accept the cost, they either succeed or fail your choice as well. Okay, so I'm rolling to help Aira, and my current modifier uh, for our sync is plus 2. Cool. So... Um, 13. I think she's gonna succeed. Damn. Okay, how do you help her? How do you make this go so smoothly? Hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think part of it is just, like, like my body movements are kind of in sync with where she needs to go. Like, I'm, like, you know, because, like, mm-hmm. on, like, a motorbike or a motorcycle, you kind of have to, like, shift your body weight certain yeah. ways and a certain amount to kind of, like, make the vehicle move how you want it to and to like stay on it mm-hmm. and kind of so i think it's i think it's just about that just being like in tune with where we're going and also just um maybe it's also just kind of a metaphorical sense of like emotional support <laughs> like yeah i don't know like i'm just being encouraging and you could even be literally soothing her nerves with magic if you wanted to be yeah that's true i do have that some ability don't i yeah some combination of that stuff Mm-hmm. is probably more than enough for you guys to get over this this massive river. So, y- yeah. So in the distance, you start to be able to see what you're looking for. And I, I imagine you, like, flip open your 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 communicator, your, your this thing that you've had since the, the beginning that, that's taken in data and communications and maps and that sort of thing. And like, there's probably, like, a little blinking light on it that, like, matches up with what you're looking at. And in the distance, a tower of what appears to be matte black metal or stone is built out of a small plateau of cooled molten rock. So, like, it's this very craggy, rough-hewn, sometimes glassy-looking plateau that leads up into this smooth stone. So it goes from, like, this very natural, very rough, into elegant perfection uh, sticking out. And you can see that at the base, there between about four like small rivers of lava that are flowing out and around this plateau, there seems to be a, a like kind of a not a landing pad, but maybe one time long long ago there was a landing pad there and a path leading up. And it's still a bit of a climb to the to the front entrance. And as you approach this landing pad, because air is just going to take you guys down there, uh, there seems to be another opening. Uh, like kind of it's reminiscent of a hangar bay Mm -hmm. but looking at it you're you don't know that much about flight but you look at it and you're like that's not possible you can't fly that nobody can fly so well as to make it into there properly Mm. without crashing Mm -hmm. it's impossible which probably makes you think that it's a hangar bay designed for mechs which can move in in theory might be able to move in directions you could uh, like a, a a fighter that you guys have now that the new empire might make couldn't move 
Yeah, so. that makes sense. Yeah. So you guys land, and Eric kind of parks the uh, parks the bike, and she kind of like looks at it and probably looks around for a second. Like, there's nothing. Like, just like I guess we're just gonna leave it. You know, there's no nothing to lock it to or anything. Yeah. You, you ready? Yeah. Yeah, is there anyone, like, out here? Or, like, because I can kind of sense human no. presence. Nope. Okay. Cool. Just you two. All right, cool. Um, yeah, Actually, let's go. Actually, maybe you should roll for it. I take that back. You should roll for that. <laughs> okay, like, a fate roll or, like, a... Oh, no, no, no. This is probably a dream blood roll, isn't it? Oh, to sense if other people are here? Other per- Sense for other persons and minds, yeah. Okay, yeah. I can do that. So instead, when you channel the magic power you trained into your blood, choose whether you act with malice or with compassion. Hmm. I mean, this is more of like a defensive thing. So I guess like I could Mm -hmm. argue like either compassion for Aira and for me and our lives or (laughs) malice in the sense of like I'm looking for if there's going to be any trouble and I want to like do something to stop it. Yeah, I do think it'd be good to hold malice back for when you're actually trying to hurt somebody. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Because it's not really yeah. either of them, but I think compassion's fine. Because, I mean, I'm not, like, trying to actively harm anyone. So in that case, roll plus soothe. Okay. So 2d6 plus 2. 12. Awesome. On a 10 plus, you hold three resource points and spend one for one to cause an effect listed below. So you can just kind of hang on to that and spend that when you need it. But right off the bat, you probably wanted to spend sense for other persons in minds. Yes. Tell me what this looks like, and then I will answer your question. I don't think it's very flashy. Like, I think it's just a matter of, like, she kind of hones in on her breathing. Like, it's almost meditative. Um, mm-hmm. And tries to, like, make herself present in this place and in this moment and just open her senses a little bit more. So it's kind of about, like, getting out of that tunnel vision of I'm on a bike and we just need to, like, you know, push forward. And now it's like, okay, we're in this place. Like, what else is in this space with me? Um, Right. So it's just like a moment of mindful breathing, I suppose. Yeah. So you can feel yourself and you can feel Aira's mind, soul, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. brightly next to you. And at first you do, like, a first pass and you're like, all right, we're good. But, like, something kind of, like, niggles at you, and you have to go through, like, one more time. And there is something here. It is very reminiscent of the Mustang and the Guardian that you dealt with back on Tristful. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, so in that case, I'm going to share that with Era. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, hey, listen, there's something here. I don't think that it's human but it could be dangerous, and so we should move quietly and be aware. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. You take you take the lead, okay? You got it. Um, and I'm going to try to, like, like go inside uh, moving quickly and quietly. Is that a roll I have to make, like, with Nimble? Uh, you probably will soon. Okay. I'll point out when that needs, that'll need to happen. Okay. Because the, 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 it's... That sensation of almost a mind is quite far away oh, okay. at this moment. Cool. So getting just getting inside, you won't need to, to worry about that. But you guys ha- hike up the 
the side of this plateau, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not a fun hike. Like, going through this, there was something kind of adventurous and explosive about flying through this space. But walking up even these steps that were at one point nice steps is not fun because at this point lava so much magma and lava has dried and cooled on this on these on these steps that if you fall even a little bit you'll scrape your knee really badly just because mm-hmm. every rock is rough and sharp and mm-hmm. you know every handhold you can't grip too hard without scraping some skin off your hand you know yeah so it's not a comfortable hike for juniper i th- bet you anything uh, Aira doesn't notice because she has metal hands and metal feet. Sure. So convenient. Uh, <laughs> not. She probably has to. She said she was gonna let you go first and probably has to stop and let you go forward a little bit a few times. Mm-hmm. And when you enter, I think you both have to pry the doors open because they don't open on their own. And it's that same strange material that you can't place the exact quality of not quite stone not quite metal not quite plastic the moment you open the doors there's just this complete bright light mm-hmm. and there's probably i don't know this might be dismaying to you but the entire bottom floor because like clearly you're like okay this tower is built into the stone so there's got to be a room inside the stone like technically underground mm-hmm. this chunk is just a pool of lava Nice. Okay. And you can see stairs across the way that lead up that seem undamaged. Mm-hmm. But this area is just a nightmare. And I think Aira says, oh, um, do you think we, what do you want to do? Well, we made it this far. Um, is there like anything, so it's just a pool of lava, like are there any kind of stones or any other objects or materials around? I think, I think there's, there's some, there's some stones, there's, there are some parts of it that ha- are like elevated bits of cooled rock at this point. I bet that you could, in theory, climb around the side, like do like a wall climb where you wouldn't have like an actual footing beneath you. There's not an easy way across this situation. Okay. So I think maybe maybe the wall climb is more up Juniper's alley because that feels more mm-hmm. like using the hardy stat whereas if I was trying to like jump across with the rocks it'd be a little bit more nimble which I'm not as good at. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um Aira, how would you feel about climbing around it? Just a moment. And I think she, like, extend, like, she puts her hands on the wall and then, like, tries as hard as she can to force her fingers in. And she's like, yeah, this thing wasn't made for industry, but hydraulics are pretty good. So she can, like, she's like, I think I'm pretty comfortable here. Oh, well, good. Okay. Okay. Um, well... Are you ready to try? Yeah, and I've got you, okay? Okay, be careful. You too. You're the one who will burn. I think you would burn too. You are made of metal. I am made of metal, but on the scale, like, once you've reached lava, there's no, there's nothing that can be done, no matter, like, what you are, really, right? But on the scale, 
currently I'm a little more durable than you. So I, I'll, I'm going to catch you, all right? So all right. You get started, and I will, I'll be right behind you. Okay. Here it goes. So, so taking party. action. Yes. When you take an action that risks failure or opposition, roll with one of the basic stats. On a 10+, plus, you succeed at your goal. As appropriate, the MC might award you resource points, harm dealt, or a bonus to carry forward. On a 7-9, the MC will offer you a hard bargain or a cost. If you agree to that hard bargain or cost, you succeed as, at your goal as on a 10+. plus. All right. So, yeah. This definitely sounds like Hardy. Like, I, like to be fair, like, I don't, as described, like, Volcanic Rock makes lots of crevices and handholds and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's just, are you willing to grip that hard on rough volcanic stone? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Okay. So rolling plus one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Eight. Okay. Um, hmm. I think you can do it, but you're going to take one harm. Okay. Here. I think that's not really even a specific wound. I think that's, uh, I think that's just like heat and exhaustion. Sure. Like you're just not, like it took something out of you. Yeah. To do that. Okay. But you do make it to the other side. And I think Aira checks on you before you guys head up the stairs. Mm -hmm. All right. Glad that's over with. (laughs) Just let me know if you need a break. I will. I'm okay. Let's go. And I think Aira shakes her head because she's like, we haven't stopped since we got off the ship like seven hours ago. And <laughs> Juniper is going to run herself ragged doing this uh, and follows you up. As you get closer to this this next floor, I think you can sense the the guardian or the the, the biomechanical creature, the, the other mind that you... Almost, I will. I think almost mind is probably most accurate. Mm-hmm. Not too far. It's closer. It might not be on this floor, but you're getting there. Okay. What does it look like on this floor? So on this floor, it's probably really nice because the moment you get up there, it's pretty dark. I, you have survival gear, so I think you probably have flashlights and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's such a nice ease on the eyes after being in such bright dry heat for mm-hmm. so long. And it probably, I think this is probably the first opportunity you've gotten to take off your mask and goggles since you uh, left Dome 23 like an hour and a half ago. So I think it's a relief. And you're just in these like normal hallways, which is, again, it's reminiscent of the bunker back on Tristful, the, the city you explored there, the... It's reminiscent of Aira's mindscape, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think she gets kind of lost in that sort of thing again. It's it's weird for your dreams to be alive and real so much, so. Yes, it is. And I think she's kind of running her hands along the wall uh, when she hits a button by mistake and these like bright fluorescent lights flash on and it turns out the Ugh. wall on your left was actually windows and inside you can see oh that's the mat that's the bay that's the bay that from the Mm -hmm. outside you could get into and it's super sterile in there like weirdly sterile like perfect white and lying in there is a ton there's a ton of machinery hanging from the ceiling 
that's kind of claw-like. It's probably not the most appealing look. And laying on the ta on a massive table as if it was a a patient, not a something to be repaired, is a mech. It's missing a leg and a ton of its ceramic armor. There's like tools laid out perfectly, and there's these there's like seven or eight sheets of old empire ceramic that's uncut, unmessed with and all these other spare parts lying around, it looks like they were about to start work. And then they like sealed off this room and never went back. Like nothing in there looks like it's aged a day. Hmm. And there's like a small console on the bottom of the window. And now that there's all this bright light flooding in, you can see that there's a door that could lead inside this room, this really massive bay. And, uh, down the hall, there's more stairs leading up. Do you want to take a closer look? Yeah, maybe. I don't... This isn't what we came here for, though. I mean, I know we have to pay the smugglers, so maybe we come back, but... Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, by asking that, Juniper is kind of getting... Trying to, like, feel out, like, is this going to be comfortable for Arex? This is, like, a hard subject for her and so like I think she's totally fine with like leaving it for now if that's what Aero wants mm -hmm. to do I think yeah I think she probably doesn't push to go in mm -hmm. but she lingers there in a weird way hmm. like looking at the mech lying there because it doesn't look like hers the one that you found her in was decayed by nature and time and was so severely damaged Whereas this one, like, yeah, it looks broken or in disrepair, but not like it couldn't be undone, you know? I think, I mean, I think the thought crosses Juniper's mind that, like, what if there's someone like Aira in that one, too? Because it's just not nearly as broken down. Um, right. But I think that's just kind of a note she makes in her head. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because Aira's right, like, this isn't what we came here for, but... Um, hopefully they'll have time to go back to it. Yeah. So Aira lingers, but then follows you up the stairs. Okay. You pass another floor that is like very clearly, like you, you about, you're about to kind of like stop and explore and you kind of shine your lights down it and you're like, oh, this is bunks. Like this is where people like slept mm -hmm. and, and like lived here. Mm -hmm. Like you don't see any consoles on the walls. There's stuff that looks like it was once beds, that sort of thing. And you keep climbing up, and you know you must be really close to the top, to like, you are at the very least now that past that layer of uh, of living quarters, essentially. Mm -hmm. You are in that black spire part, the, the part that looks built, that's sticking out of the, uh, of the plateau. Mm -hmm. So, and you kind of like go up, and suddenly you feel kind of like you're in a muted, like, you notice how some glass is like very... It's very dark, and so you can still see out of it, but it doesn't always create that vertigo sensation mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel like there's just nothing between mm -hmm. you and, and... You kind of realize that as you go up, this is glass, hmm. and because of age and time and no one cleaning it, you can't see out of it anymore. It's been blackened by a layer of ash inches okay. thick. But you eventually reach the... You suddenly realize that you're also not only going past 
this isn't just made out of glass, but hanging on, um, kind of suspended in air are massive data banks just going up. And you, you imagine that they might have been suspended in air to keep them cool, but they didn't understand that eventually there would be a cauldron of magma at the bottom of this and you're at the highest point. So this section is boilingly hot. Ugh, okay. Uh, which is really uncomfortable, but also doesn't necessarily bode well for data being preserved. Mm-hmm. But you know, know that at least about a week and a half ago, this place was sending out a signal, so something still has to be working. Okay, well, I'm gonna start looking like pretty quickly for the thing that's still working, because I kind of want to get out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you? Is it making you nervous to be here? Yes. <laughs> Um, being this high up in this level of heat while something alive is near is like kind of unsettling. Mm-hmm. I think now is the moment you need to be quiet. I think this is a roll with nimble. Okay. So plus zero. <laughs> Ten. Oh, wow. Okay. I think you see it. I think halfway up this tower you see another one of those guardians, like that forearmed with the bright light sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And do you remember that it, like how it like could, like its arms could stretch and it like climbed on walls and stuff? Yeah. It's kind of hanging between some data banks, like suspended kind of like a spider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it seems to be asleep. Oh, awesome. Or undisturbed by your presence. Okay. So, like, I feel like you, like, turn, and, like, it's one of those scenes where, like, it makes the scary noise, but nothing happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where we, like, realize that it's right behind you. And I think Aira has to, like, cover her mouth before she'll just, like, scream a little. She's like, you know, I didn't know if I had phobias, but I might now. And just kind of, like, <laughs> doesn't leave her eyes from it as she, like, walks up the stairs behind you. Um... Yeah, I think, I think I just nod and take her hand and um, continue looking, just walking really lightly. You finally reach the top of the tower and it opens up into this sort of like platformed room with many consoles lining the walls and really big windows sort of situation. You can't see out them because they're covered in ash, but... You kind of understand that, oh, 20 people would work up here and do some sort of work, it seems. Mm -hmm. But it seems like these consoles might be the thing that works. There might be one of these that you could turn on and start digging up info. Okay, is it like obvious which one works? Like, is there like a blinking light or Mm -mm. something? Okay. No. I I think I'm just gonna be like, Aira, you want to start over there? I'll start over here and, like, just, like, start flipping shit on. Yeah, sure. Just toggling power buttons and stuff. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> flipping <laughs> switches. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this counts as an ancient tech tinkerer? Yeah, in knowing which switches to <laughs> turn on and um, yeah. being aware of, like, oh, this might do something or maybe this is what this does. Yeah, so why don't you roll that and re- okay. will you read it for us? Yeah, so 
Though self-taught, you've learned how to interact with decrepit old empire technology. When you attempt to interface with decayed old empire tech to make it perform a function, roll plus educated. On a 10 plus, it functions as you'd expect it to. On a 7 to 9, it functions, but choose one. And then the options to choose from are, it won't function for long, minutes at most. This is the last time it will ever function. Or its function attracts unwanted attention. So what's so, your educated bonus? Two, right? Yes. So I'm going to roll 2d6 plus 2. Mm-hmm. 11. Wow. You have rolled so well. Knock on wood. Don't say that. Because this is... I'm so nervous for there to be a turn in your luck right it now. It always happens. Whenever we play together, it's like, oh, it's great. And then it's like the worst. So here's the thing. You find the console... I think it's probably one of the, like, like an off-to-the-side one. Like, you probably get the feeling like, ah, this was the intern's computer, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah. But hey, did not get used as much, so. It boots up, and I think Aira comes over and, like, takes a look at it. And, because it's in a language that's, it's like reading old English for us, you know? Mm, yeah. Every third word is, <laughs> is a word that you could puzzle out. Mm-hmm. And Aira looks at it for a few minutes, and then she's like, I think I can read this. Really? What does it say? Uh, well, this is mostly just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a database screen. There are options. Um, and she points at a couple things, and like, that's a dead link, that's, that won't go anywhere. Basically, the console boots up, and she explains each chunk of information that you could interface with is connected to a string of databases. Mm-hmm. And some of the databases are already just dead. And so she's like, these three won't lead anywhere. But points at um, this one. She's like, this is just, it's not general knowledge. It's cast off knowledge. And uh, recent, and she's she's kind of struggling to read this, but she's, she's managing. She's like, and recent, um, recent entries, recent entries and, and, uh, miscellaneous that that that's what that one is and and she points at the other and she's like uh this is this one's not connected to the to the databases this one's connected to this is just a list of other stations hmm okay let's take a look at the first one uh so you you open up recent entries and miscellaneous and it's divided into two and both are kind of a mess you know like the miscellaneous is just anything and everything. It's so much information. Like I think that's a- another thing that you kind of come across with this is that one of these databases could, one of these these data banks, they could hold probably all of the data in the new empire and still have room left over. One of those single suspended data banks. Dang. You know. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's like it's like if all the data in the world was, could be held in a single four gigabyte flash drive, and you found a place that has like seven, like seven external hard drives with like three terabytes each, you know? Wow. Okay. And they're mostly full, so it's like, I, 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 how do you how do you how sort do you through process it? all? Mm-hmm. Of, right. So there's that, and this is so clearly just cast off information. It's like, oh, you know, like. 
it's like someone wrote up a document about this thing and it's like, yeah, that doesn't really fit anywhere. I'll just throw it in miscellaneous and we can search it and we'll find it. You know, at least we'll mm -hmm. have it, you know? Right, yeah. If we really need it, we can send the intern digging for it, right? Uh, <laughs> it's like how so I organize like, my computer. <laughs> yeah, it's like a junk drawer for, uh, for data. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is just journal and like not journal entries but it's like it's just like it's uh basically each one is labeled uh data outpost 32 and then a date and it just goes back quite a ways and most of the, like i think era scrolls down to like an early one and it's just the most boring thing of like used up this many food pods yeah water levels at x and then and notes uneventful like that's almost everything in that mm. one so there's definitely going to need to be another role here to dig out more useful information than this okay is that another ancient tech tinkerer or is that more like I educated or curious i think that's just rolling educated or curious here because because it's not about making the machine work the machine's working just fine with no side okay. effects. Yeah, that makes even, sense. It seems. So, yeah. I would say, like, this is probably an educated role. Just because yeah, it's... Yeah, just skimming. Yeah. Yeah, it's about, like, knowing how to, like, pick out the important parts of, like, like a long article you have to read, like, in school. It's like, yes. okay, how do I, like, sort yeah. through all of this, like, flowery bullshit and get the main points? Like... <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm rolling plus two. Seven. Okay. Seven. Okay. I will offer you a hard bargain. You can dig into one chunk of information or the other, or it will take a long time to pass to get through both, which will mean some unwanted guests will probably be close to arriving. Hmm. <laughs> okay. And this is a this is a choice for you as a player, not for Juniper. Juniper right. does not know this. So Oh boy. Um I'm torn between like cuz how we've been playing this scene is like Juniper's definitely like feeling a sense of urgency in this mm -hmm. whole situation, but she's also a very curious person and a very persistent person. Yeah. Um and this is the kind of stuff that's like so important to her. So I'm trying to decide if the sense of urgency would win over versus, I mean, obviously she doesn't know this, but like if she would be acting with urgency or curiosity. Um, right. And, oh, shit. You know, I really think it would be the curiosity. Because, like, she does tend to get lost in these mysteries. Like, when she first found Aira, like, she totally forgot about the evil thing that was, like, following, like, that she and Rosewood were trying to hunt. And she just, you know, right. like, was like, ooh, right. a cool new thing. And, like, I think that's just kind of who she is. Yeah. Okay. So, which do you want first? Sorry, what were the, the two options? To dig through miscellaneous and find something of value. <laughs> Mm -hmm. or the entries, the outpost entries. Let's go through the outpost entry first. Okay. I'll give you, like, the big overarch. The thing you can see with this chunk of inf this time, which I think after a little bit you realize covers about five years. Mm -hmm. When the, the entries start, it's very 
very mundane. Like, nothing ever happens here. This is just a place that coordinates things. They bring in... They, it's, it does count as a military outpost. They have the supplies to do that. They house people. That's what that bottom area is you discover. That was a hundred percent just, that was a military base just at the bottom. And now it's mm-hmm. all melted and gone. But mm-hmm. they had a, they had a up-to-date uh, mech bay uh, with all the repair tools. Like this was a functioning, functioning military outpost, but mostly it served to coordinate other places. And in this system... And this moon was very far away from the fighting. And the fighting had been la- has already been lasting at this point 40 years, 45 years. Mm-hmm. A long damn time. And as it progresses, you start seeing a lot of information that isn't super helpful now, but like is important information in like a in like the sense of like this was valuable, you know, troop movements, uh supply routes like it started this place started managing doing the things it was supposed to during wartime which is managing things as though you can you can get a sense through like the first four years of the war getting closer and closer by the amount of work this place actually has to do and the war eventually started reaching this system uh which was not called the runa system at the time and as you go, you kind of see people coming and going. And then about half a year before the entries stop, there is a very clear turn where the war isn't happening on this moon, but it's happening planets over, you know. Like there's a mention of a planet getting hit with uh, with an ionic super weapon meant to shut down all technology. You know, there's mention of uh, potentially inciting volcanic, uh, like they think they were thinking about uh, and eventually do incite insane volcanic activity on this moon. Like this moon used to like, from the descriptions, have kind of a climate similar to like Tristful or Palace, like pretty temperate, pretty pretty normal. Uh, but they incited this to be a volcanic hellscape as a defensive measure. So that people wouldn't come by. I see. And then about three, four weeks before the entries just stop, a couple things happen. People are retreating from from the from this system, basically. Like they're abandoning it. Like it's not worth it. We're not gonna keep this backwater. Not worth mm-hmm. it. So people are starting to leave this facility as fast as they can. And during that time, there's a crazy cyber attack on the facility that gets reported mm. everywhere. Every other data outpost, everywhere that has data banks of any kind, all get hit by a cyber attack. And what becomes very apparent is because of said cyber attack, they can't even mention what was missing. Like it's redacted. Like basically, like it's it's in there. The cyber attack hit and took blank. Like they they typed up what what it got mm-hmm. took, but the moment it appears, it seems to be redacted again, like immediately. Mm-hmm. And nobody can seem to figure out how to make this stop. And nobody and it's like this is not being claimed by any any side of the war. No factions are claiming this, and literally everyone was hit. And basically they're thinking, is there another enemy? 
is there someone we don't know about hmm. who's against all of us? And then the last couple of entries basically kind of spell out what happened with that mech down below. Essentially, someone from the absolute front lines flew in and the the battle just kind of essentially cost their mech a lot of damage. It wasn't beyond repair. The pilot survived. They were going to do repairs on the on the pilot's mech before before evacuating with it, but there just wasn't enough time. And so they shut everything down. They set up a guardian as protection in case they could come back. And they hermetically sealed the 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 bay and a transport took the last few people off leaving behind this interesting okay okay um and the miscellaneous file uh the miscellaneous file hmm here's what i'll do about the miscellaneous file because to be fair I don't think, I think the way this success works is I think you get to ask one question and there will be some amount of answers to said question in here. And if you have okay. more time, you could ask more questions. Okay. I think the only question that there will not be an answer to, and I will not screw you like that, is if you want to know what that redacted thing was from the other thing, mm -hmm. that's not in there. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um... So I guess the question that I have, generally speaking, is how I need to know more about how these mechs that they use functioned. Specifically, like, I mean, I'm trying to find something about what ARA could be. Mm. I think you find the name of the device that she's housed in, like the proper one, the sphere you found at the very beginning. Okay. Let me make sure that it's kind of finicky. So give me just one second to make sure I've got the right word. Cool. Okay. So that thing is called an Oryx restorative drive. Most often just called an Oryx for short. And essentially what you, what you put together is that a mech was made up of, was piloted both by its mech by the mech had a had a rudimentary AI system. It could talk. It wasn't most people didn't consider it having much personhood, but it was highly intelligent, adaptive, and helped the pilot. The pilot kind of supplied creative ingenuity, uh, empathy, the more human side of things, and the AI would more or less be able to run all the calculations, do all that extra stuff. Mm -hmm. And the piloting of a mech was about the AI and the human mind running in tandem. Okay. So the Oryx restorative drive was a relatively recent uh, improvement that more or less what happens, and of course, Aira's translating this for you. So as she's reading this, like I think her voice is starting to break. And... Maybe even she's starting to cry a little because this is going to give you both some answers and she's okay. getting them first. When a mech pilot died, in the instant of the death, their personhood was downloaded fractions of a second before the, the, the body was completely destroyed. 
into this Oryx restorative drive, which would then strip that personhood of memories and blend it with the AI of the of the mech. Damn. To okay. make someone new. It would make okay. a brand new AI, essentially, a, a being with all the technological prowess of the mech's AI, but all of the humanity and creativity and everything that goes with that of a human. And then the Oryx drive would plug right back into the mech and turn the mech back on, essentially, mm. so the mech could keep fighting. Wow. The idea, to some degree, certainly, was this is a step on the way to just creating our own artificial intelligences. We'll put them in the mechs and no people have to die anymore. But until then, this way, we only lose one mech mm. pilot, you know, at a time. Mm -hmm. It's to make our forces go further, last longer. That's messed up. Uh, and once it becomes a, essentially once once it's become a full AI powered mech, they would be called mechanical oryxes. Like that's just what you would call that. Mm -hmm. So it also seems though that uh, depending on how the mech crashes or gets broken or the pilot dies, all kinds of malfunctions can happen. It was nowhere close to a perfect system. Mm. there's lists of things like memory loss strange glitches the the personhood just being trapped inside the the oryx with all of its memories just like they got the person in there and then the rest of the machine died so you know mm. they would be just their normal person self in there and never get there get recombined with with the ai or get their memories stripped but for Aira, it seems like the mech pilot died and that person got put into this machine and at the very least, the memories got stripped. Past that, it's unclear exactly what happened to her without more research. Okay, so Aira didn't die. The mech pilot died. The AI died. And maybe, maybe... So, the, so what this could tell you is Aira is either... A copy of that mech pilot put inside a machine with its memories stripped or it's she's a copy of that mech pilot with the memories stripped blended with the AI of a mech that never got recombined with the machine because the something happened with that I mean you saw the mech it wasn't in great shape mm -hmm. so essentially what's happening here is like era is a person but she's a copy of a person who was downloaded really just for military gain like mm -hmm. like but the system failed to some degree but yeah. the system failed okay um i think era's just crying yeah. and like has to sit down yeah and Juniper sits down with her and just holds her and lets her cry. I think after a moment or a few minutes of 
a few minutes of crying, Aira just is like, so I'm just a copy or a remix at best. Juniper doesn't really know what to say because like technically that's true. Like, but after a couple moments, she's like, Aira, yeah, maybe you were created with technology, but you're still a person. You still have emotions and ideas and empathy. You're not just a part of a machine or... That's exactly what I am. You're both. Those things can coexist. You have a presence in this world. I don't know what I was hoping for. I know. Me neither. But you're your own person. When I met you, you had no memories, no name, and we're making them right now. You're living right now. It's really hard to get out of my head, though, that if she was here, she'd be the real one. The original. I think that you two are different people. But this is probably her, the what she looked like. Kind of gesturing to the projection she makes. Yes, that's true. She's gone. And someone's and I, personhood isn't about what they look like. It's about who they are, how they feel, their experiences. Yeah, I guess so. Listen, it's okay to be upset about this. I don't mean to try to push away how hard this is. Yeah. It's just... It's gonna take a lot. I, I think... I think having a body of my own, one that's not rented, one that's mine, might help. I want that too. We should get out of here soon. There was one more section of files. The, the the list, the list of other functioning stations. We should just look at it and go. Diceology is hosted and produced by Dane Fogdahl. Lady Juniper Blackbird is performed by Natalie Wilcoxon. Simple World was developed by Avery Alder, and Firebrands was developed by D. Vincent Baker. Soundscapes were created by TabletopAudio.com. If you like the show, please rate and review us wherever you listen. It helps us more than you know. If you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Twitter at DiceologyPod for behind-the-scenes photos and updates. Thank you for listening.